0: Let us pray. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Speak to us now as you have spoken to us throughout the ages. In this glorious Easter season, reveal yourself and your will for our lives, that we might live as your Easter people. We seek your face, O Lord. Hear our prayer through Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And so this morning I'm continuing through this um, thematic series through the month of April into the beginning of May about eternal life, now and in the time to come. And the, uh, the scripture for today is from the Gospel of John, which, as you know, I preached through not too long ago. But on this occasion, I'm taking a somewhat different approach. This is, in other words, not going to be a verse-by-verse exposition, as much as more of a launching pad into a discussion of what the Bible, especially the Gospel of John, says about eternal life and what it means for us. And so now, please do hear the word of God as I read it to you from the Gospel of John, the third chapter. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs Unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And in this message today I'll be concentrating really the key verse will be John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Many people have asked themselves or asked others When does eternal life actually begin? And there are, well, many answers. And that's, I guess, appropriate because it's such an important question. There are people who believe that it begins at some point, some set distant date of the future. There are those who believe that it will begin in the day of resurrection. Resurrection. That's something that we are all going to experience. The day of resurrection, that is the day of eternal life. There are others who believe that when the soul moves out of the body, that is when eternal life really begins. Well, there are perhaps endless conceptions of eternal life and when it begins but as christians we are bound to hear and accept what the bible says to us and what jesus christ says to us about these matters now the key i think is that he never jesus never indicated that it was wise or appropriate to postpone the acceptance of his word of truth that guarantees the possession of eternal life. Jesus never acted as if or spoke as if eternal life was a far off reality that we could take our time considering. There was a real urgency in his message and that urgency is what appealed to the hearts of his listeners. The Apostle Paul said behold now is the time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And that's from 2 Corinthians 6.2. And if there was any other man on earth who understood the thoughts of Jesus Christ, it would have been the Apostle Paul. Scripture leads us to believe that eternal life is an experience that begins the very moment that the soul trusts in Jesus Christ as personal savior. And I Jesus of course wants people to become acquainted with the requirements of citizenship, heavenly citizenship while they're still living on the earth. He wants them to know that they shall possess in the way of assurance of everlasting life that What they shall have is dependent on their faith in him. And so eternal life is one of the great Bible doctrines. It is, I would say, the central. Well, it's very hard to say that there's one doctrine that is the central doctrine of the Bible because of the incredible richness and diversity of the Bible. And I would never want to downgrade something else by uplifting something. But I will say it certainly is one of the central pillars of the scriptures, the doctrine of eternal life. And so, we will be considering, well first, the authority of eternal life, the nature of eternal life, and the results of eternal life. And when we consider the authority of eternal life, what does that mean? Well, we focus on Jesus. Jesus was very confident in his authority to offer eternal life to those who trusted in him. As he says in verse 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot... See the kingdom of God. And to say truly, truly is very emphatic. It means you must listen to this. This is extraordinarily important what I am telling you. And indeed it is. The word of authority was the signature and testimony of God's power. And I might add it is further expressed in something that Jesus said in the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter, verse 23, and that says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And so this is a wonderful encouraging evidence or testimony to the truth that has the power to break the silence of the grave. Now, Jesus insisted that proofs of eternal life always existed. At his words, the spiritually dead will be disturbed in their slumber and roused from their indifference. They will know that the summons of supreme power and authority is addressed to them. And I want to say in our natural human state, which is a fallen state because of the great sin of Adam, we are in fact naturally spiritually dead. We have to be awakened from our spiritual slumber. We have to be resurrected from our spiritual death, and we cannot do that by ourselves. We cannot do it at all. It is solely the power of God, the sovereign decision of God, to give us that spiritual life, that spiritual life that He had initially given to Adam and Eve, and the spiritual life that they so casually cast off by giving in to temptation. Jesus always lays great emphasis on the divine force that is at work in the human heart and conscience. And Jesus, as I think we all accept, is the one authority for our faith and practice. That doesn't mean, of course, that we should ignore teachings of, say, church leaders or philosophers or anything like that. But if something that someone says is in contradiction to the words of Jesus Christ and the meaning behind his words, then that person is not to be adhered to, is not to be listened to. His words are not to be respected, in other words. And again, I know I'm not saying anything that would... Be especially surprising to anybody. But it was the great reformer Martin Luther who emphasized that point. For him, what mattered was the Word of God. And so, if the Pope or great councils of the Church or learned theologians of the Church propagated doctrines that were in contradiction to the Word of God, and in contradiction to the words of Jesus Christ, as set out in the word of God, then they were not to be adhered to. His conscience would allow him no other option. And so we've talked about the authority of eternal life. Let us now consider the nature of eternal life. Because of sin, people lost the peace and harmony and happiness that are naturally a part of friendship with God. One person wrote that the soul left God like a wandering star from its central sun. I would probably modify that slightly to say that the soul left God like a wandering planet from its central sun. Imagine, for example, what would happen to our Earth if we somehow wandered from our orbit around the sun the world would grow cold and dark and life would be utterly impossible and so it is with the soul that wanders away from its orbit around God and every soul has done so because of sin now eternal life is in and through Jesus Christ Man has lost the joy of spiritual life because of sin. But it can be and must be recovered through a divine source, a divine channel, and under a new divine arrangement. Christ is this source to which people must turn for the hope of eternal life. He is our only hope for the future. He is the way, the truth, and the life, as John 14.6 says. So as we derive our natural life, our fleshly life, from Adam, we receive spiritual life from Christ, who is the second Adam. Eternal life becomes ours as soon as we confess our sins and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, the world, as we know, is our only birthplace. We have not yet quite reached the stage where we can have births in outer space or on the moon. But even then, even then, the principle would remain the same. The fleshly world, the natural world, is our only birthplace. But the day of salvation is the only birthday for eternal life. And all who enjoy eternal life in the heavenly place, have found it on earth. Isn't that amazing? Eternal life becomes ours in the here and now based on grace through faith. Now, we should not forget that the life of the flesh or the life, the life of the fleshly body does come to an end. We are promised resurrection bodies, but they will be different from the bodies that we have now. The life of the soul, the spiritual life in Christ, however, is eternal. And if we have it, it is indestructible. And that is the wonderful thing about it. We know that our bodies are eminently destructible. We know that people die untimely deaths from accidents or illnesses. And even for those of us who are given what will be considered a good span of years on this earth, we know that our bodies will eventually break down and stop working and we will have no more physical life. But our spiritual life in Christ is eternal. And only life that is found in the saving, redeeming love of Christ is worthy of the word eternal. Only the Lord Jesus Christ has that power to open the windows of heaven so that the blessings and security of everlasting life can become a reality to the soul. So I'm speaking of eternal life in a very specific manner. I don't want to mislead you. You see there is a form of eternal life that everyone will have. We indeed will we are bodies and we are spirits, we are souls. And so whatever happens we are not going to come to an end. The question is what will our eternal life look like? we will all have, whatever our faith, we will have an eternal existence. But for those who do not have faith in Christ, for those who have not received the grace of God in that way, the eternal existence is at best a dark and lonely place without God, a place of ghosts and shadows. And at worst, it is exactly like the hell that is described in the pages of the Bible a place of eternal suffering and torment and anguish and regret and sorrow. And you can be down in hell for a year, for ten years, for a thousand years, for a million years, and you will be no closer to the end of your suffering than you are at the beginning. And so, yes, that is a form of eternal life too. But it is not the wonderful and abundant eternal life that God would have for his people. And so, primarily today I'm preaching about the wonderful, grace-filled, eternal life of salvation that God gives us through Jesus Christ. And so that leads us to consider, what are the results of eternal life? The eternal life that God intends for his people to have. We can be assured that eternal life is immune to judgment. So much of the blessing of redemption consists not in what we will enjoy, but in what we shall evade. And the words of the great evasion are, "You shall not come into condemnation, but you, pa- you are passed from death to life." From, uh, that's a paraphrase of John 524. You see, eternal life, as God intends it to be, and judgment are opposed to each other. The one is the result of faith, and the other is the result of no faith in Christ. Judgment is in the area of sin, but the believer has come out of that. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? as Paul asks in Romans 8.33. And so in this case, passing the final examination is preliminary to all things. If you pass this one, you will pass them all. Praise be to God for that inexpressible gift. And oh my goodness, when I think of the ordination process that I went through and candidates go through, Oh, what a sign of grace it would have been if by passing one ordination exam, I automatically would have passed them all. But I didn't. I passed the first one, and then, shall we say, I had to try more than once with the other ones. Isn't it amazing that the grace of God is greater than the grace of the church ordination process. Praise God for that. Now this transition of passing from death into life is a beautiful thing. It is a wonderful experience. Think of it. There is a change of nature. There is a change of condition. There is a change of character, a change of prospect, and a change of worlds. In other words, do not think that eternal life for us is just a continuation of things the way they are now. And do not think that we will be the same as we are now. You know, I've had conversations with people who raise objections to the Christian conception of eternal life and what it means to be with God for eternity. And they, they don't want to be there if some of their friends aren't there or if some of their family members aren't there. And yes, you can understand that hesitation, but we will be changed. We will be different. And the things that may hold us back from a full commitment to God and a full trust in his goodness and providence will no longer plague us in the eternal life to come. And what a great, incredible blessing that will be. It is, in fact, such an incredible blessing that it is inconceivable, I think, for us now. There's a phrase, and I don't know who came up with it, but if you imagine a beautiful day, or the end of a beautiful day and a glorious sunset, and it is so beautiful that the phrase comes to mind that it is achingly beautiful. And I think that the transition from this life to the life to come, will be achingly beautiful. It is so beautiful that to comprehend it now is something that is beyond our understanding or appreciation, and to comprehend the full beauty and glory and holiness of God and the, the eternal life that He has set out for us is something that is so achingly beautiful that we cannot comprehend it. But we will. We will comprehend it. And we will enjoy it. Again, the grace of God. You see, everyone who undergoes this transition will experience the presence of our Holy Father, the Heavenly Father. And the voice of God alone can call the names of those who are dead in trespasses and sin. The voice of God alone can bring them back to life. And the Bible says that not everyone will be so called. But there will be those who are called. If you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, you know that you are called. And again, thanks be to God for that grace. This transition that I've been talking about is quite real. It becomes evident in the life of believers. They are new creatures. Now, what does that mean? It means that While we are still here on this earth, when we are still here in this fleshly life, there is a change. It is not the full change that we are promised when we reach the heavenly kingdom, but there is a change. The affections of the saved are not attracted by the same things. Their minds are transformed by the word of God. Indeed, they are different people different in habits and temperament, character and language. And these are unmistakable evidences that something wonderful has happened in the soul that God has prepared for the endless joys of eternal life. Now, in my own case, my own life, I so wish that there was more evidence of these things. I mean, there have been changes. Yes, I'm not the same person that I was before coming to Christ. But my goodness, I have a long way to go. I suppose we all do. But again, the grace of God carries us through and helps us to grow and change. To conclude, Oliver Goldsmith once said, Ill fares the land, To hastening ills a prey, Where wealth accumulates and men decay. The real decay begins to set in When people begin to magnify Physical and temporal existence As all there is to life. The... Temptation, the disposition to trample faith underfoot and to kick God out of the window is certainly not a new thing. But again, the day of accounting will be real for those who refuse to acknowledge the reality of the spiritual. Again, as I said, eternal existence is coming for everybody. The question is, what kind of eternal existence will it be? You know we hail progress and I think rightfully so in the fields of art and music and architecture and science. Actually when it comes to art and music I don't know, I think things might have been better in the old days in a lot of cases but for sake of argument let's say that we hail progress in those areas. I mean really I have to say this we've gone from Mozart to Madonna. Is that really progress? Well in any case, when we've said all of this, we must admit that there are some questions that are beyond the solution of mortal minds. We can split the atom, yes. Well, I can't, but there are brilliant men who figured out how to do that. But there are some things that no one can figure out with their mortal minds. While belief busies itself with logic and testimony, faith concerns itself with thanksgiving, thanksgiving. Saving faith has always been an operation of the heart. Indeed, salvation and eternal life become the coveted possession of those who believe with the heart. But those who will not believe will walk out into a darkness from which there will be no return. And so, brothers and sisters, let us Thank God today for the assurance of sins forgiven through simple faith in Christ as Savior. Let us rejoice in the abundant provision that God has made for eternal life. Indeed, may we all rejoice and say in our hearts, thanks be to God. Amen.